not what I am Even though my zip code is changing I might smile and enjoy Where I could be employed Your soul can't be rearranged But it's hard to understand It's so hard to understand Farewell, fam It's episode 7 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast, your weekly Milwaukee Brewers podcast. I'm Steve Garshinsky, and joining me, as always, is J.P. Breen and Ryan Topp. Coming up on the show, we'll talk about the Brewers series versus the Nationals, the upcoming series versus the Cubs, and we'll answer a bunch of listener questions. We want you to submit questions, uh, so follow Milwaukee's Tailgate on Twitter at MKETailgate. Email questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com. Or follow our Facebook page for Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast. And you can also follow Ryan, JP, and myself on Twitter. And you'll find that all in the Milwaukee Tailgate bio. Uh, Just a quick reminder that Milwaukee's Tailgate is sponsored in part by Sound Devices, a premier manufacturer of audio production gear. And they're located right here in Wisconsin. Sound Devices gear is used worldwide and is found on the set of Oscar-winning films and popular TV series like Game of Thrones. If you're looking to create professional sounding podcasts, check out the Mix Pre 3 and the Mix Pre 6. And for more information, visit sounddevices.com. Okay, so we finished the pod last week. We were kind of talking about what a successful week would be for the Brewers. And uh, they seem to have kind of eclipsed that a little bit by taking three of four from the Nationals. So um, I guess we'll just kind of figure out what are you thinking about the Brewers right now going into this week and, and basically as they're uh, heading into September and playoff contention. Ryan. I Yeah, it definitely looks like a, a pretty good situation. Coming out of taking three or four from the Nationals and splitting with the cards, yeah, you can't ask for more than that, and it definitely kept them in the race. There now seems to be a bit of a, of a, a, a break opening up between the Cubs and – so catching the Cubs for the division – and catching the Rockies for the wild card. So it's looking a little bit more likely that the that the wild card comes into play um, than the division. But ultimately, they're still in the race for both. And that's fantastic considering how many games they have coming up in the division um, that they can make a you know, distance on the Cubs. Yeah, I mean, the, so. the Rockies have faded a little bit. So the Brewers um, are about a game behind uh, the Rockies at this point. Uh, they're th- three and a half behind the Cubs or three behind the Cubs. So JP, uh, what are your thoughts kind of uh, with the roster expanding and just what you think they can do, uh, I guess, for the rest of September? Yeah, I I think when we were talking about the Nationals last week, watching them over the last couple of days and and watching Edwin Jackson somehow taking the mound for a team that's going to win the division, it it put into – basically brought to light the fact that the Nationals don't really have anything to play for at the moment. I mean, they're 15 games. There's nobody else in the NL East that's even above 500. They've got like a 15-game lead, and they're certainly not going to catch the Dodgers to be the top seed in the NL. So the Nationals don't really have anything to play for. Not saying that you should take anything away from the Brewers, who have put together a really nice stretch, especially, you know, the Cubs. uh, They are... I think they actually just lost today. I think that just went final. They did. Um, they lo- just yeah. Won. They they lost uh, five to one to the Braves. But before that, they had actually won six straight. So in order for the Brewers to even stay within touching distance of the Cubs, they actually needed to put together a pretty good stretch here, which they have, and couple that with the fact that the Rockies 
have lost three or four straight and are currently down four, four, uh, one to the Diamondbacks. They've actually been able to gain quite a bit of ground there. So it's been pretty much, I think, it, almost as good as you could could ask for. I mean, I know some people will look to the fact that on Saturday night the bullpen coughed up a lead, but it seems hard to squabble too much with taking three or four from the Nationals, who are a very, very good ball club, even without Bryce Harper. And being able to to put some distance or or gain some distance, I guess, with the Rockies and really make this September, you know, interesting for everybody, which is all anybody can ask for. Yeah, bullpens are going to cough up some one run leads, well, especially was, against good offenses like was, the Nationals. It's a good offense, and it was a three to two game. It's not like they coughed up a lead when you know they had uh, you know five or six runs or whatever, and right. they blew it. I mean, it was three to two. I think they were up two to one when Hater gave up a couple. Yes. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, yeah, it wasn't like a total meltdown for that to happen. Plus, I mean, in this this series, you got you had Jimmy Nelson uh, going out there and pitching a one run game. Um, And then Brandon Woodruff in the the game they lost. He went seven and only gave up a run. So, I mean, they're getting some pretty good pitching performances. Yeah. Woodruff especially really looked like he was in command in a way that I hadn't noticed. We were talking about that right before we started recording here that he looked like he was commanding his pitches in a way that I hadn't yet seen from him at the major league level this year. So And and Zach Davies put together a good start too, kind of continuing his good run of form, which has been a, I believe that was actually on Friday night, if I remember correct. Or maybe it was Thursday. Davies was Thursday, yeah. Yeah. I was at that Thursday. game. I always seem to catch Davies starts this year. I think I've oh. honestly seen him start like eight games. Yeah, he gave up two earned runs in in seven innings, so another really good start for him. And he's now I've about three point eight ERA on the year, nothing that uh, nothing to sneeze at in an inflated run environment for sure. And I think he's in the wins lead, correct? Yes, <laughs> I forgot about that. Yes. Yeah. So should we yeah. should we talk a little bit then? I know this isn't on the agenda, Steve. Sorry, but about the uh, the Hotter Court article about how they now have this little core moving forward of starting pitchers to draw from that they have, you know, Woodruff or sorry, Nelson uh, Anderson, who also looked good his last time out, not great, but he looked, you know, still quite reasonable. Um, uh, is this, and then so, Davy is, I mean, we talked a little bit about it last week, but I assume that this is your opportunity to t- talk about the Mets and how nervous you are about building around <laughs> pitching. Yeah. I mean, there is, yeah, there's that, that it's, it is, tricky to try to build around pitching one thing that it's you know if you're going to build around pitching you better be building instead of around one or two stud arms it's much better to be building around four or five guys which seems to be where they're headed wait 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 hold on hold on hold on was the this article was making the point that they're building around pitching because i mean you look at the farm system and the guys they're bringing up i wouldn't say that they're building around pitching they just happen to have pitchers currently pitching on the major league roster that have a little bit more time than the young bats that are coming up through the system. It was more that they, that this has emerged as a group that they can build around because they have, they have control. None of those guys are going anywhere for at least three years. They all have at least three years of control. You have some time with those guys and they're all pitching pretty well at the moment. So was he suggesting extending these guys? I think it came up in there. I don't remember particularly, but it was, it was more, you know, this is this is something that they have going for them heading into the future now that 
I mean, I think that would make it more of a core is if all, all of a the sudden they started handing out extensions to guys. Then Again, you're saying none of them are going anywhere for at least three years after this. Well, but that's why, so, that's why they're extensions. Sure. I mean, Anderson and Davies both have four plus. Nelson's the one who'd be the first free agent, but that's not for three years after this. And I wouldn't be surprised if, if they were to extend Nelson in the offseason. I think that would be a pretty, yeah, I, it wouldn't surprise me at all if they, he was, came in with an extension. Right, but that would mostly be to lock in for arbitration, right? I mean, that wouldn't necessarily – any extension isn't going to be trying to extend pitchers long-term because that's not an intelligent plan in terms of locking in money to a starting pitcher four or five years down the road when you already have them in control for three years. Anything for locking in pitching would be to have cost certainty going forward so you know what you can spend on the bullpen, you can spend on bats, and being able to have some cost certainty in the starting rotation. It's not like they would be saying, oh, what we really need right now when we have good pitching locked up for three years is really we need to extend that monetary obligation out to five years. That's um, not what anybody would be saying. No, I think that at most you would see like a four-year, maybe maybe that fifth year if they really felt good about him, uh, where you'd lock in the fifth year and then an option year or two on the end of it to give them the ability to go beyond that but not necessarily lock that in as a guarantee. Look, if they're giving up five-year extensions at this point, I somebody should throw something because – that doesn't make it that doesn't make any sense and Ryan out of anybody in in this virtual room right here it, out of anybody you should be the one that's throwing the most like the biggest hissy fit about that. I mean, okay, so if we're talking specifically about Nelson, you No, just any well sure. Okay, yeah, we can have a concrete example. Nelson. You're yeah. talking about a guy in his age 28 season, a 4-year extension with an option on the end of it. Okay, first of all, you said five years, but keep going. I, I mean, five, if it's five years, I'm not going to throw a fit. I don't think that's a problem. That That's interesting to me, and, and keep going. But it's if they were to go, yeah, four years would take 29, 30, 30, and 31, and then an option for 32. You're still, you know, you're, you're not even getting into the mid-30s. Wait, if it's a five-year... No, 29, no, no. 30, 31, 32. With an option for, for age for 33. Okay, yeah. So you'd be, at most, if you did like a five-year, you'd be, you'd be touching 33. Have you ever subbed in math before? <laughs> I, I'm just like, got, I'm, I'm counting on my fingers here. I've got, I need an abacus. Just like start sliding the, the beads across the... <laughs> yeah, but if anybody even went and signed a 31 or 32-year-old pitcher, and if the Brewers gave gave them a two- or three-year contract, you would be talking about how they're on the wrong side of 30 and be talking about how that's far too risky. The only reason that Jimmy Nelson is different is because you like him and he's here. That's the only reason it's different. <laughs> there, is, there, there is a little bit of that going on. But, I mean, usually, if I don't mind you know, locking into 32, 33, it's 35, 36, 37. That starts to get more questionable. Well, and I think aging curves for pitchers are a little bit different than what we've seen for hitters. So. And they're weird. And Nelson has been if you, yeah, a if, paragon of, of he takes the ball every fifth day and just there haven't been any real health hiccups. To yeah, if, if you're durable so by that point, you kind of remain durable. But yeah. I mean, the pitchers, yes, they could fall apart at any time. But I mean, but, I mean that was always that was what everybody said about pe- people like CC Sabathia too. And I mean, I get that he's a little Sabathia older, right? Like six, seven and 300 plus pounds. I mean, I think the idea that and Jimmy's was, not fat Jimmy anymore. 
He's, he's just no, a big I get, sweat, Jimmy. Big sweat. <laughs> no, I get this, but I'm saying that the whole narrative around being able to show somebody is durable just because they've done it in the past doesn't always hold up. No, and it does go away. And it, when it goes away, sometimes it can go away really fast. Like it went away with, I don't know, Cueto, Gallardo. Uh, Cueto always kind of dealt with injuries. Gallardo, I suppose, yeah, yeah, Gallardo was always durable. Yeah. Except for the, the freak uh, Reed Johnson knee injury. Right. So I think the biggest point in this is that if you have people locked up for three years, being able to buy them out of their arbitration years makes a certain amount of sense. But if you've got those three years already locked up, and then not only do you have somebody like Brandon Woodruff starting to make a claim for a spot next year, you've got Hayter, you've got uh, Luis Ortiz, you've got Corbin Burns, you've got Freddie Peralta, you've got a lot of people starting to, to bubble up through the system. And whether or not you think all of those people are going to be starters is kind of a different question. It's the fact that you don't need to lock in when you've got a lot of different options, unless the goal is going to be to lock in these people long term and then starting to flip pitching for something else, which is always a dangerous proposition as well, because then you end up like a team like the Cubs who start scrambling for pitching all of a sudden when something doesn't work out. If you were the Brewers and Nelson was willing to take a four-year, $35 million extension, so that would be 6, 8, 10, and 11, and then an option on the end of it with a, I don't know, an option for $13 million for wait, the wait, 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 so year. you're saying in his free is agency that- year he would take eleven? He would get eleven in the in the in the last year, yeah. I don't think that. Or would six. Work oh, hold on, hold on. So it'd be six, eight, ten, twelve. So it was thirty-six. So four for thirty-six. And I guess let's say there's a, a signing bonus in there of two million. So it's four for thirty-eight, and then an option for another year at twelve million dollars on the end of it. So it would be a five-year, fifty million dollar deal at the most. Is that something that both sides potentially could agree on? Sure. I think that's uh, lower than anything that Nelson would accept. Uh, And I also think that this is probably far more math than I expected on this podcast already. (laughs) I I don't do math. So uh, we're going to move on. Uh, (laughs) Well, I don't think anybody wants to hear Ryan like magically come up with numbers for contract (laughs) extensions. I'm not terrible at that. So uh, anyways, we're going to address a question that actually was already kind of answered. Um, Jay Google asks, uh, does Suter take Garza's spot in the rotation in September? And today we had kind of a bullpen day where Suter pitched the first three innings of the game. And then obviously the bullpen uh, came in for the rest of the game. Um, and, And Garza has talked about being taken out of the rotation for not performing well. So how long do we think this holds? And do we see Suter, I guess... Um, being in that rotation spot the rest of the way once he's kind of worked his way back completely and he can go six, seven innings. I, th- I think they'll at least give it a shot. And I don't think it says so much about Garza as I think that they actually like the idea of having a lefty in the rotation. Um, somebody like Suter gives them a different look, especially against a team like, you know, a, a, like the Nationals today that can really stack a lineup with with lefties if needed. Um, and against a team like the Cubs too, who, when they've got, uh, Schwarber, they've got Rizzo, they've got John Jay, who just seems to always, you know, be a thing. They've got Hayward, right? So you've got a lot of people that you want to be able to at least have the option for a lefty there. So, and if you do like, 
Suter's biggest issue has not actually been in the early innings. It's been once he's getting to the fifth, sixth inning, something like that. And now that rosters are expanded, it's not that big of a deal if you need to take him out after four or five innings every single time. Or You've three. got a lot of options. Right, or three, right? That That's fine. Um, so, yes, I do think that Suter stays. Um, I don't think it's going to be a situation that they send Garza. They just tell Garza that he can go home. Uh, like has been the case in the past, but uh, I'll be interested to see what they do with Garza. If they, if he's willing to move to the bullpen, because I would imagine that Garza would be pretty keen on a playoff push too. Hey, Hey Ryan, how do you feel about uh, picking up that Garza extension next year? Or I'm, not extension. I'm sorry. The uh, option, the $5 million option. Yeah. I'm still there. Still there. And I'm you still th- there. And you think they're going to cash in on trading him? I do. I still think I, you guys could laugh. You laugh all you want. I will be the one sitting there in November going, ha, ha, ha. You think they're going to trade him in November? Yeah, Breen, Breen seemed to think that that was the more, if they're going to do it, they need to be able to have done it fairly J- JP, you're being okay. brought in on this First now. of all, do not even pretend like I said that was going to happen in November. I said if they picked him up, they would have to already have something put in place. Oh, no, no, that that's I what I meant. That, that actually was going to be feasible. Right, no, no, that's what I meant is that if it was going, to, if they were going to do it, it would need to be so that they could move him early to give themselves flexibility. Because I think any of the other 29 teams in the league, if they decided that they wanted to part way with talent for Matt Garza in November, I think that they'd be insane. There you go. Um, okay, we're going to get in our way back machine again. Uh, if you could magically go back in time, possess the body of David Stearns, and redo the 2016-17 offseason, what would you do differently? And we don't want any uh, pragmatic cop-out answers like nothing. This is pure fantasy land here, and that is from Jerry Eldred. This may be a, this is going to be surprising, but I think I would go back and, if we're talking like for one move, like I want to inhabit the body to do one specific thing, it would be, I would really talk to the White Sox and find out what the lowest possible cost they could get Jose Quintana for. Like, what that could have been. To see where that where that bottom line could have been. Not necessarily that I would have done it. Um, just it, would that have been, it would have been Lewis Brinson. We already know that. We're, we're fairly certain it would have been Lewis Brinson. Um, but if okay. there was a way around it to do it without Brinson to really see what that would be before the season. I don't know. Oh, before the season? Well, we're talking this is that was what the question was. Oh, Jerry that's asked funny. us in the off season what would you have done? And I do think the White Sox asking price in the off season was probably a lot higher wait, wait, wait. than so what you, they you settled have total, on. Yeah, so you have total hindsight here. So, uh, JP, I don't know if you wanted this should be Oh, wait, re- we get total hindsight? Well, obviously, we know what oh. happens. So. so that's the the rules of this magical universe that's that Jerry created for us. Yeah, that is okay. the rules. You have hindsight. You possess David Stern's body, so you get to like use him as a puppet and we make all the deals. There should be one really easy one here. I don't know, JP. What you, do you make think? a trade for Aaron Judge. No, no. Go. You do it. Do it. What do you? What's your really easy one? Because I'm not sure what it is. They could just keep Scooter Jeanette. No, no. Wait, no. wait. This is a fantasy world, so Scooter gets to put up the exact same number. So we we no. get we get a two ninety four, three forty six, five forty four slash. He's got what twenty three home runs at. Se- Everybody's been like second base stinks. Everybody's terrible. We need somebody instead of VR. You don't have to trade for Neil Walker. You just have Scooter Jeanette plugged in there, and everything's I mean, good. If we're talking perfect hindsight, you trade Lewis Brinson for Aaron Judge and say thank you very much. Really, you want Judge with his second half right now? Yes, 
I don't know. Are I, you kidding me? Come on. You're still buying first half Aaron Judge. I'm so buying you, Aaron you, Judge the whole player. What are you doing player. with Domingo Santana then? Um, putting him in left. Then what are you doing with Ryan Braun? <laughs> <laughs> Saying bye. <laughs> I don't know. And then he says no. You're bad at this. <laughs> I'm so, bad at the, I'm bad at magical you're, jamming. You're, you're the you're the brand Stark of uh, checking what happened in the past. <laughs> While I'm not making creepy rape suggestions to my sister. Hey, whoa, okay, let's not go there for Game of Thrones and spoilers. Fans. Sorry, and spoilers. Yeah, spoilers. Way to be a jerk. Uh, JP, do you have one? Uh, I mean, mine's not going to be nearly as fun as those answers. Mine wasn't fun because it was literally just keeping a guy that they, you know, that they handed away for yeah, nothing, they gave him away. <laughs> yeah, I'd still do that. To be fair. Um, even knowing what he's done, I still would do that. Um, I, th- I think mine would have been trying to move Hernan Perez for a reliever. Um, because coming into the season, Hernan Perez still had quite a bit of value in terms of people looking at him like a potential everyday starter. They still had, were coming off of him having a great second half last year. And I would have been looking at trying to uh, bolster the bullpen, trying to move him. Um, you know, we had a lot of discussions about whether, uh, yeah, there were a lot of discussions on Twitter about whether or not Perez or Travis Shaw, uh, was actually a better hitter. Um, and I came down on, on Travis Shaw. I didn't expect him to be this good, but I still feel pretty good about that. I still don't think that Aaron Perez is, is an everyday starter. I think he's, he's fine if you want to have him off the bench, but the Brewers could have replaced that sort of value, um, and even looking at what they have now, Mauricio Dubon could come in and do that that sort of role as well. So I think being able to move him and then being able to maybe not have uh, Jan Mourinez for a bit, maybe not having to have Carlos Torres for a bit, whatever you know, person that you're Rob Scahill, whoever you want to take out of the bullpen for an extended period of time. Blazak stinks. Well, he didn't come in for a long time though. Right, no, so no, he wasn't I, just to give up eleven thousand home runs in one inning and yeah, then yeah. go away. I just wanted to get that in there. So I think that Perez is still somebody that actually I don't know if he has a real spot on the team next year, but his value is not nearly going to be what it was as uh, as it was back in December and January this year. That's but a I very mean, other, reasonable answer. Well, I was gonna say, but uh, but <laughs> no, other than that, like I don't necessarily know. I mean. What else? What else would you really be looking at? I mean, Sonny Gray. What, nobody was trading Sonny Gray. Nobody was trading Quintana. There'd be you would have been nuts to trade Quintana in the in the winter and not let him try to rebuild some value. Uh, I don't necessarily even know what really would have been out there unless you want to say like, go get Byron Buxton. But I don't know why the Twins would even be interested in such a deal. No, probably not. So. Yeah, I mean, again, I, there weren't any major moves that you can really kind of roll back, so everything seems to be relatively. I was gonna say, like, pragmatic. if this is like, if this is pure fantasy land, I'm saying go out and get Christian Yelich from the from the Marlins and put him in center and let's roll. Sure. Like. Yeah, <laughs> where I yeah, I don't think we're gonna go that far. So I like that that's more of a fantasy than getting Aaron Judge. Why are you on this Judge thing? Seriously, Aaron Judge is a monster. Christian he, Yelich he is was. better than Aaron Judge. Yeah. Like seriously, Judge, is Christian Yelich better than Aaron Judge? Judge has. He's I'll, hit, I'll stand by that. Judge is hitting like a buck seventy six, and he's got seven home runs in the second half. Yeah, sure. 
you're you're totally buying into one half of baseball for that guy. And remember, he wasn't really that great last year. So yeah, I don't know what you're getting all about. So, uh, anyways, uh, it looks like our best shot is the wild card. How do you like our chances in a Nelson Grinky matchup? And that was Scott Mauling asking that one. Well, I mean, I think partially the the problem is is in a one game matchup, it's going to be a, a toss up. But if I do want to think about what could go down in terms of looking at minute differences and different things like that. I think Jimmy Nelson has been, you know, I hate to say a guy who's a big game pitcher, but I mean, he's, he's been on another level in terms of being able to lock down. Um, He's been, what has it been two bad outings pretty much since the beginning of June? Yeah. I think he had back to back bad outings, but other than that, yeah, he's been pretty lights out and they weren't that bad. Right. Compared to what he had been doing, though. Yes, compared to what he had been doing. Yeah, Yeah, comparatively. But, like, I mean, it's even going out and and going against the Nationals when the Cubs are going on a a winning streak and the Cubs are threatening to want to run away and Jimmy Nelson goes out and pitches pitches a shutout, pretty much, right? Well, and I think the other thing about this, too, is you're talking about a one-game playoff and knowing how Stearns and Council operate, and how they're not afraid to do things like what they just did literally today with a bullpen game. I would imagine that they would have a very tight leash on whoever their starter was, and they wouldn't necessarily expect them to give them more than four or five innings, and then they would turn it over to the bullpen if it was a tight game. What if they did like a suitor bullpen game for that? You wouldn't start suitor. You'd start a good starter. Well, I mean, I don't know. A lefty. I know Paul Goldschmidt's a lefty. Yeah, I'd have to look I don't at the rest think, of the lineup. If yeah, you, say, if you wanted to like get lefty, get though. really cute and play matchups, no, no, I think you. I think you give the ball to Jimmy Nelson, and if he if he struggles early, have a contingency plan that you can bring in somebody else and and kind of roll after the third or the fourth inning. But if Jimmy Nelson comes in and starts throwing throwing strikes, you let him grow into the game. I think right. that. He's somebody that if he starts feeling good in a big game, I think you let it ride until it goes. Well, and does Chase Anderson give you a little bit more confidence since you'd have to burn Nelson in a one game playoff. And then if you win it, Chase Anderson becomes your number one guy for the next series. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which is absolutely fine. And then Nelson, you know, comes back in game three or whatever. And that's that, you know, you go, so there would be Nelson and, or sorry, it'd be Anderson and Davies in games one and two. Wait, so how would the world series rotation (laughs) <laughs> yeah let's talk about that okay because we have such a good record of not jinxing things well I, well again the other thing is for uh, however cocky people want to get the brewers asked for what'd you say 15 percent for uh, a down payment for the playoff tickets yeah though it's also 15 percent of next year's season tickets the the actual dollar amount that it's going to be i think is similar to what i had to put down in the past it's just it's accounted for differently this time. Okay. Yeah, I haven't done the math to, on it yet. Well, it just used to be here, give us all the money right now. Well, they would, yeah, it was two tiers. You'd have to give all of your money, or you'd have to give a certain percent by such and such a day, and then the full balance had to be paid off by a, another date. So, whatever. Nobody cares about this. Well, well I'm just like saying, three people I, do, I know some people are worried about, like, oh, we're going to be in the playoffs. What do we do? Well, again, the Brewers aren't like completely just chips in. At this moment, saying, "Yeah, it's it's a, it, they're definitely going to host some games at Miller Park right now." So, um, anyways, with the wild card and division still in play, what kind of roles will Brett Phillips, Wei Chung Wong, and Taylor Williams play? And then will 
Lewis Brinson joined the team, but Brinson's out with his hamstring injury. But uh, Nathan KS, that one. So what do we think? Uh, some of these guys, what kind of roles will they play with the expanded rosters? Well, I think we'll see Phillips in games off and on when there's a particularly juicy matchup like there was on Saturday night where they wanted to get as many left-handed bats in as possible against Scherzer. So I think that's going to be his role. And you might see him also as some late-inning defensive get some late in defensive work, maybe in right field for Domingo Santana, depending on how things are setting up and how they want to do things. Um, as far as Weichung Wang goes, that that's interesting. I don't know exactly what their their plan is. They did use him, if I'm not mistaken, we were driving home last night, so I didn't catch this in detail. I think they used him last night in a one-run game, right? They were down a run, but yeah, they used him last night. So I think they have some level of faith in him and, I mean, definitely gives them an option for a lefty specialist, a guy that you'd want to put in maybe to face tough lefties in a tight game, whether or not you're leading or tied or, you know, maybe a little bit behind. Um, And then Taylor Williams, who knows? I mean, I think that's going to be a, when they get him in there, they're going to take a look at him and see how he's throwing and, Potentially, if he really looks good and really has success, maybe he elevates himself into uh, seeing some leverage situations, you know, but I wouldn't anticipate it right away. I don't think you'd do that. I think you'd let him, you know, start off in some pretty, some pretty low-key situations and see, you know, how he does and see if he grows into it. Yeah, I think Brett Phillips, like you said, he's got a pretty straightforward role. I think you might even be able to see him do some pinch running as well uh, in key situations down the stretch if it comes to that. But, I mean, Wei Chung Wong is, he's the lefty that, you know, the lefty specialist that the, the bullpen has been looking for for quite a long time, but haven't necessarily been able to justify a roster spot for. Uh Josh Hader was somebody that they were trying to use against lefties, but at this point, that doesn't make any sense to make him a lefty-only sort of pitcher. And Taylor Williams, it's going to be dependent upon whether or not there there are situations in the game in which it makes sense for him to throw. I don't think they're going to throw him in to make his debut in a one- or two-run game. Uh, And so there's going to have to be some some blowout somewhere, uh, whether, you know, whether they're and most likely it'll probably come if the Brewers are behind by a few runs in a certain situation. But I, out of all of those people, I think that that Taylor Williams is somebody that could potentially be more of an impact guy down the stretch. Um, but it's going to just be a matter of, I mean, he hasn't even tri- pitched in triple a before, but it's worth noting that God, what was it? Two or three years ago now that they were saying that scouts were saying that, that Taylor Williams was the best Brewers pitcher in, in, you know, in their farm system. And that was before he was hurt. Um, but where he was throwing upper nineties and was just throwing gas, he's, he's looking really good with a good breaking ball. So it's in there. It's just a matter of whether or not it can transition to the, to the big leagues right away and whether or not, you know, he's going to go through stretches like when he was coming back uh, from a very short rehab stint, I think a couple of, I think it was probably a month or so ago in which he had a couple of rocky, rocky uh, starts in terms of his his command. So we'll just have to see how that goes. And they'll have I, to be careful in how they use Williams, too, because I don't think they're going to use him on back-to-back days very often, if ever. 
unless it's... no, I can't see it. So and I don't be careful. And, yeah, and I don't think they'd put him into too high a leverage situations because you're still going to want to be breeding your. He's not going to be on the postseason roster, so. Um, you I know, mean, there's able... a path to the postseason roster if he was just unbelievably dominant. Don't you have to be on on the roster prior to August 31st to be on a postseason roster? Uh, you are supposed to be, but teams play those games all the time. Are you saying Matt Garza could go on the DL and open up a spot? Yeah, like that Got sort it. of like that sort of thing. Yeah, because that's how I know K Rod came up in 2002 for the Angels and was not on the postseason roster or was not on the on the active roster when September started, and they played a game like that to get him there. So sure. Uh, but I will say that Brinson probably will be up in a couple of weeks if his hamstring is coming around. Is that? Yeah, uh, I, I heard it was supposed to be probably towards the end of the year. Yeah. It was the initial report anyway. Okay. So the idea is to bring him back and get him a few more games. I believe so. Yes. Okay. Um, okay. If one player can hit their ceiling in this system, who would you want it to be and why? And why is your answer Monty Harrison and Mike Tracy? Uh, ask that question. Let Ryan go first on this one. Oh, this is terrible. I this this drives me nuts. Um, I <laughs> I was I was playing with a lot of different names. You know what? I'm just gonna say, since you already brought up Harrison, Harrison's probably a very good answer to this question. I'm gonna go with Lucas Ersig, uh, because I think that if all of it comes together, you've got a fantastic defensive third baseman, um, like a very very good defensive third baseman. If he hits his ceiling. It's a very good third baseman with a well above average hit tool and some pretty solid big league power uh, from the left side. So it's a really good profile. And if that all works, you've got, you know, potentially a, I don't know, five, six win player annually if he hits the ceiling. So I like his upside. Yeah, for, for me, I think the answer is pretty clearly Lewis Brinson. Um if Lewis Brinson hits his hits his ceiling, he's a he's a five tool player, and I know that Monty Harrison has a lot of the same sort of attributes in terms of if he hits his ceiling, maybe you could argue that he's somewhat of a similar player, just because Monty Harrison's athleticism is so great, you know, and he's shown the power, the speed, he can play center, he can do all of those things. But Lewis Brinson stands out because Lewis Brinson, if he's going to hit his ceiling, he's already ready to he's already ready. He is uh, he is primed to be a big leaguer as soon as this, you know, in the last couple of weeks of the season, but next year. So if we're looking at being able to, there are a lot of players throughout the system that if they hit their absolute ceiling could be absolute, could be all-stars could be perennial all-stars. But I, if I'm going to just take one, I'm going to take the guy who can play center and is already primed to be a big leaguer because the Brewers are looking to compete next year. And so if they could get somebody who's on his way to hitting his ceiling in center field next year to, to add to all of the people on the team now, I think that's a no-brainer. What's his realistic ceiling for you, uh, hit and power-wise, like a scouting number? Oh, I'm, I'm not a good enough scout to be able to put numbers on it. Um, okay. But, I mean, I'd say... I mean, I are we know, talking like he could, he could hit, 60, he could, 70? He could hit two. He could hit two eighty, two ninety with with thirty homers and steal twenty plus bases and play center field. I mean, he could be an absolute monster. I mean, his. I, I always have kind of felt like his. I don't know, like eighty, ninety percent, or percentile projection could be something like Mike Cameron. Like if he really turns out to be, 
a good player. Not his absolute, absolute top-notch ceiling, but something towards the top. It's basically like Mike Cameron. Because Cameron I, I, was a, a 50-win player in his big league career. I think that... I think for me, it, it the, the comp is always... In my head, is actually looked a lot like Gregory Polanco. Um, the same sort of body type. But with better of, defense, right? Well, sure. Yeah, I mean, they're obviously not perfectly comparable. Um, and I also would say that that Brinson has more power potential than than Polanco as well. Um, but in terms of body type, athleticism, uh, speed, power combination, the be to you know the same drawbacks from the the sort of kind of hit tool that's out there. Uh, those have always made a lot of sense to me. Um, but I mean, Lewis Brinson. He's got he's got everything. He's got everything. It's just a matter of being able to put it together, being able to to tone down the strikeouts enough to to be able to hit. Ryan, I'm surprised you didn't go with Corbin Burns since he's the guy you've been on this whole time, right? Burns, yes. I well, we were talking before we started recording. I like threw out Nathan Kirby as like here's a guy that's off the radar that could be. I no, still... if we, if we were going with somebody who's who's injured, and we were going to say that this person hits their absolute ceiling, it'd be Devin Williams. Oh, over Kirby. Okay. I mean, if we're talking about absolute ceiling, right? I mean, he's he's taller. He's going to throw harder. He's and somebody who's shown feel for a changeup already. Somebody who's got you know a better body type going forward. Yeah, I mean, I think I know that, that would be the person you'd look at. You had him as one of your potential breakout players this year before he got hurt, right? Yeah, Devin. Yeah, yeah. it was tough. Yeah, and he's. I mean, they've been really bringing him along slow. Like they've been letting him just sort of you know, move very, very uh, methodically through the system. And yeah, I kept hoping there was a breakout coming over the horizon. Hadn't happened yet, but still have that chance. Okay, so uh, sticking with the pitching staff, since we're talking about minor league pitchers, we're going to go back to the major leagues. Um, And Jason Spitz asks, uh, how much credit should Derek Johnson get for the pitching staff's performance this season because he's flying very much under the radar. So how much of this is a pitching coach thing, making adjustments for guys, and how much of this is uh, you got some pitchers with some natural talent just getting their uh, getting the job done? Me first? Sure, go for it. I think it's virtually impossible to say from the outside. I mean, even if you were inside, like seeing on a day-to-day basis, how much of this is the raw material he had to work with? Because... Yeah, people have thought that Jimmy Nelson was a good starter. He had, there was a good starter in there since, you know, three, four years ago, but it just hadn't happened yet. And then, you know, Chase Anderson, we've talked on this podcast a bunch, JP's talked about it, that, you know, you have the, the velocity spike that is a little bit worrisome when pitchers start to throw a little bit harder. But that could be a pitching coach. That could be something that, is involved with, you know, Johnson, something that he did, or it might be something completely unrelated to him. So from the outside, it's really hard to tell. It does seem like there haven't been an inordinate number of injuries. They don't seem to overuse guys. They seem to be pretty, they have plans and they stick to them in how they use guys. So that seems like it's a product of good planning. And I'm sure Johnson is one of the lead guys in, in doing that sort of planning. So that's good, but how much credit does, you know, Leo Mazzoni get for the Braves being great in the 90s? A lot. 
And then what did he do when he went to Baltimore? You know, their staff was awful. So it, it was never, he was never able to do much of anything when he didn't have Greg Maddox, John Smoltz, and Tom Glavin. Yeah, so, okay. Well, JP, uh, like Jimmy Nelson, for instance, is, he cut down on his walk rate. Obviously, that helps quite a bit. Is there something mechanically that changed for him to do that? I mean, that you could say, okay, a pitching coach would have worked on him with it, or is it just a, you know, the guy's matured and has figured out a way to locate his pitches? Yeah, I think for, for Jimmy Nelson, it's been a lot of natural maturing. It's been taking care of himself better. It's been getting stronger in his core, so he's more stable throughout his, his mechanics, been taking you know his own health more seriously. Um, not to say that he wasn't before, but he's talked a lot about this this year, about you know his core strength. I think he's been doing yoga or Pilates, not sure which one, but he's been uh, really focusing on his, his muscle, um, both being able to keep it tone and be able to, um, stay flexible because that's, that's super important. Yeah. I have seen that they, they have like a yoga instructor that comes out and works with guys before games. So I I know that's one thing that it, it was a handful of guys. They don't bring out like the full roster to do it, but there are guys who go out and do like yoga before they even get out there to do, you know, batting practice and, you know, get on the field and stuff like that. So, right. And I, I mean, the hard thing about judging pitching coaches is, is it's the same sort of way that you have to judge a manager, except even less information. Um, it's, it's about how you handle personalities. It's about how you try to give information to somebody else to set them up for success. It's a, it's about comfort. It's about, and, and not every pitching coach works well for somebody else. Uh, I mean, I know the Mets pitching coach gets a lot of gets a lot of uh, plaudits for being able to turn a lot of guys like Jake Degrom into suddenly being being a, a world beater. Same thing with Robert Gesellman, you know, Seth Lugo being able to especially throw you know this low ninety slider that's suddenly just incredible. But all of the they, they all get hurt. They all get hurt. I mean, Matt Harvey doesn't look anything close to what he was before. Seth Lugo was on the DL. Steven Matz was on the DL. Uh, Robert Kesselman has taken a step back. I mean, you're not supposed to be able to throw sliders that hard and be able to, to last with your arm. And so they, but they can get good results for it. And so I think what ends up happening is you look at the reclamation stories. It's a lot of like what's happening in, in Chicago. They all said that Jose Quintana was going to get better because Chris Basio was so great, but they ignore the fact that Jake Arrieta has, hasn't gotten better. They ignore the fact that, that uh, Brett Anderson couldn't get healthy and ended up being able to, to kind of move on. Uh, you forget all of the things that didn't work out and focus on the two or three good stories that you really want to focus on. Well, and, and hold on, Derek, Derek Johnson was working in the Cubs system before he came to Milwaukee. So obviously it wasn't Basio. It was Johnson who was making the difference (laughs) down there. Yes, we can. I think we can definitely spin that narrative if we need to. Well, I mean, with with how the Brewers are in the Cubs head at this point, I think it's clearly something that we can all just kind of latch on to and assume as an absolute truth. Natural transition. Exactly. Um, Okay, so this week the Brewers play three at Cincinnati. They have an off day on Thursday, and then they head to Wrigley for a three-game weekend weekend series against the Cubs. The Cubs finish a four-game series in Pittsburgh on Thursday, and that created some controversy. 
by moving the opening game of the series against the Brewers from a 120 start time to 7.05. And the Cubs had to get permission from the city to move this game because there's a law basically determining how many night games they can play, and they really don't play Friday night games because of the whole traffic situation in that neighborhood. So uh, I guess, Ryan, what's your opinion on this? I, I mean, I know the Brewers said they were upset, but controversy, or is this just something that the Brewers are basically picking on the Cubs with at this point? Oh, it's just so much fun. I really don't care. Like, it's it's a large, realistically, it's not super important. I wouldn't say it's a non-issue, though. I mean, teams getting to make their changes. So everybody, when major league schedules are, are devised, everybody has patches in their schedules when they're not great. Everybody has to deal with some stuff that isn't ideal. Like, teams over 162 games get scheduled into some weird things where you're flying back from the West Coast at odd hours, and then you have to play you know, a game the next day. There's all kinds of stuff that all happens within. Well, and I mean, Pittsburgh to Chicago, I mean, how much further can you definitely <laughs> fly, you know, on a continental flight there? And so everybody has to deal with some of this garbage, but the Cubs now have juggled their schedule a couple times so that they don't have to deal with garbage or that they can create, like, look at what the Cubs did. The Cubs cost the Brewers an off day and created a situation where they had to go down there before then heading to New York uh, for the final series of the first half. So they they took the Brewers off day away at their own discretion and decided to do, uh, to do that. And now here you have a situation where they're using their ability to manipulate the schedule to get you know, to, to take out one of these rough patches for them. One of these things that was set in the schedule, which by the way, was only going to be a rough patch for them because of their own parks rules. That's, this is not something MLB says you have to play Friday day games. It's their park that says that it's their neighborhood association or whatever says you have to play Friday day games. So that wasn't, that was not something that it was imposed upon them. That was their own thing. And then they undid it because it was inconvenient to them. JP, do you enjoy the uh, Chicago soap opera? Uh, if we were judging how much I care about it on a scale of one to ten, it would be less than a two. I mean, it's it's above. That would be that. Wait, hold but it's on. It's not that, a negative number. Yeah, that would be a one. No, I'm giving space for non-integer answers. Okay, so <laughs> but it would be over one. So you do care. It would be it would be over one because I do think it's I I think it's interesting that they could be setting precedent for other teams that could want to switch things around when it's more convenient for them. But ultimately, I I don't care because I'd rather watch a night game, um, and any other team that they would be playing, the Brewers would be playing a night game. On Friday. Oh, so, yeah. From the Brewers' perspective, like, that's a time. Right, they have a day yeah. off the day before, so it doesn't right. matter at all. Right. I don't, think that, I don't think that it matters at all for the Brewers. I don't think another six hours is going to be – is going to, to change whether or not the Cubs win or lose that game. Uh, I it, it is interesting that the Brewers don't need any neighborhood association approval to, I don't know, close the – roof halfway or something like that when no but it, apparently if the giants decide hey we don't want the the roof halfway closed that like they're not allowed to do that anymore because somebody complained and like so they were told they had to do something a certain way i think that kind of comes and goes depending on who's who's complained most recently so and it's we'll, usually we'll been tony Larusa and the flashing scoreboards the <laughs> but, if, but if we are if we are talking about a, a, a 
uh, having trouble with my months, uh, September. We're having a September series in which baseball matters. The two top teams in the NL Central are playing. The Brewers are going to a place like Wrigley to be able to try to gain some spot, some some uh, some games on on the Cubs. I'd much rather it be a night game, like the the lights at Wrigley. I'd much rather be watching a game game at night than be watching a, a game during the day. But why should the Cubs be able to just brush past an inconvenience because they want to, when everybody else has to deal with inconveniences in the scheduling all the time? That's the part that because, bugs me. Because it's not it's nothing that anybody else would have to deal with. It's not like any other team is going to schedule an afternoon game and then all of a sudden on a Sunday be like, well, you know what? We don't want to play an afternoon game anymore. We better move that back. It's literally just the Cubs that would be dealing with that sort of situation. And okay. I get that I get that that's the Cubs' own making and that it's it's an opportunity to you know, make fun of the Cubs for being on the north side and dealing with a, you know, a neighborhood organization and but things like that. But let me, it doesn't matter. Hold on, Ryan. You're, hold ta- on. you're, you're taking this way too seriously. I Just know, but hold on. I, I do want to ask something. And again, I've, point, I've pointed this out before. Uh, I've pointed this out before. They're allowed a certain number of evening events at Wrigley Field. And they used them up for concerts. They used them all up on concerts this year. They scheduled as many concerts at at Wrigley Field this summer as they could possibly do. So that organization, you know, they knew how they could make some money. They took advantage of it, and now they had to go to the city to be able to move this game. Otherwise, it probably would have been kind of a non-issue. Well, okay, because that's what made it unique. They had to go to they had to go to Rahm Emanuel down in Chicago, and Rahm had to like I don't know like bust some heads to be able to move this game. He probably muscled the uh, neighborhood association a little bit. <laughs> if, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure that since the the Cubs won the World Series, they can do whatever they want, and everybody well, in, in Chicago will let them. Exactly. Yeah. What's the rule though? Because they said it. This had to do with the players' union. If the Brewers, if the situation was reversed, the Brewers were coming in from Pittsburgh late, and the Cubs had an off day at home the day before. Would the Brewers have been able to move this game and tell them, "Hey, you have to move this game"? I, it's not their stadium. Yeah, I don't know. It's not so the they couldn't have done it. The Cubs can do it, but the Brewers, if they had been scheduled for it, they are not allowed to. This do it. isn't like an all teams matter situation. <laughs> oh, <Jesus>. um, <laughs> On that note, <laughs> well, I mean, the other thing, see, I think in Milwaukee we have a different perspective too because Milwaukee just plays getaway days. Like all that, the time, yeah. yeah, that final game in the middle of the week, they pretty much play a day game because they actually do pretty well attendance wise all summer long. Where when you're in Pittsburgh and a couple other cities, I don't know if they do as well when they do one o'clock. Even starts. in the spring, they do okay because they give away large blocks of tickets. Yeah, to they, they do groups. giveaways. They have senior days and all that kind of stuff. Or so, reduced value tickets. Yeah, they, they exactly. Work things out to get people in the stadium. But there are a lot of teams that don't have the attendance in day games. So I know that it, there are all sorts of times we're playing, you know, night games for the Brewers in different cities. So on a getaway I, day. But I think the next time that the Brewers have a 120 uh, start on a Friday at Miller Park, I and they want to move it to a seven o'clock game, I think that they should be able to do it, Ryan. Definitely. Well, okay, hold on a second. There's a flaw in that because who starts at 120? Uh, WGN because they need to get a few extra uh, advertisements in. Exactly. Yeah. So, well, we'll blame WGN, I guess, for the uh, majority of these issues. So. Also, I, I well, I told you this, but I get blacked out in here in, in South Bend, Indiana. I get blocked out from or blacked out from the Cubs, the Indians and the Reds. 
and maybe even the Tigers, but I don't ever really try to watch the Tigers game. But I get WGN, and but I don't get the Cubs game because those are all monopolized by the Chicago network. So at least you don't live in Iowa. So I mean, for a for lot, a lot of, of reasons, reasons. Yes. yeah. But no, they get blocked out of Minnesota, Milwaukee. Uh, they get blocked out of both Chicago teams, St. Louis, Kansas City. Like they're blocked out of like literally a third of the league. Hey, yeah. Yeah. absolutely insane. Kansas City, have you been there recently? No. How's the weather? <laughs> hey, what was that beer you brought? You what was that beer you brought back yesterday? I hate you both. Oh, <laughs> the Brett Saison. Yeah, how's your ear doing? <laughs> okay, so he had a bottle of this Brett Saison, which had like the the actual cork top to it. Very very champagne. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like a champagne top cork. So yeah, you know, there's a little bit of extra pressure built up if you're gonna have a cork. So we're sitting there, and I'm. I, I didn't realize there was extra pressure. I was about to like get the brats together to go grill those out, and Ryan's sitting there trying to open this bottle. All of a sudden, I hear this pop, and the damn cork is flying across the uh, the kitchen, and Ryan's holding his ear because apparently he took a cork right to the ear when he opened this thing. And I don't know how do you open a bottle by putting your ear over the top of it. <laughs> I'm lucky. I mean, my ear is not that far from my eye. So, like, I'm lucky that it didn't get my eye. <laughs> you have like, no idea. Ryan has very wide set eyes. <laughs> I was going to say more so than other people. <laughs> well, it's generally just a very large head. So <laughs> maybe it was just gravity. It's like you couldn't avoid it. <laughs> yeah, it, was, it just flew right towards it. Yep. it got pulled in by its orbit. Okay, on that, that's going to do it for this week's show. As always, follow us on Twitter at MKE Tailgate, and you can also submit questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or through our Facebook page for Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast. Again, go there, like the page, make Ryan feel a little bit better. And if you ask a question there, we'll probably see it, see it a lot easier than any of the other locations. So... Uh, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and you can also leave reviews and help people find the podcast. And thanks for listening, and look for us again next week on Milwaukee's Tailgate. Yeah,